Welcome to the Anime Research Group, a show about the weird and wonderful mistake that is anime. I'm Ian. And I'm Denny. And this week, a very special Halloween episode looking at Dracula, Sovereign of the Damned, the Marvel movie where Dracula mugs people to get money for burgers. Yes, so we realised that in order to capitalise on our market share for anime, you know, that thing that isn't totally overcrowded, we needed to throw in some specials. So we're just doing this Halloween special on the fly, which is why Freya happens to be absent. So expect more specials in the future because everybody loves a tie-in. And this one is going to be very different because normally we're reviewing stuff that we haven't seen and like trying to give our honest feedback on it. This is more of an advocacy piece, I guess we should say. We want you to watch this. (laughs) It's garbage, but we want you to watch it. And it's on YouTube, so you don't even need to uh, try that hard to get a hold of it. Uh, and so our structure is going to be all over the place, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Without any further ado, Denny, tell us about Dracula. Yeah, so Dracula is a book, and this is an anime that's not based on that book, but on a comic book series based on that book, on which then this anime is based. So this movie was animated in 1980 by Toei, one of Japan's oldest anime studios, in a short-lived deal with Marvel that generated only one further work, a loose adaptation of Frankenstein a year later in another made-for-TV movie. This movie essentially compressed about 43 issues of a 70-issue run, The Tomb of Dracula, into 90 minutes, with obvious results. On a much more interesting note, this also happens to be where the character of Blade, you know, the guy with the movie trilogy in the early 2000s, uh, comes from, though sadly he does not make an appearance in this movie. It would have been hilarious, but sadly that did not happen. This was also the first animated movie based on a Marvel property, though there had of course been several earlier TV shows. For once, we're not actually watching this in its original Japanese form. As per our tradition, we're watching the hilarious English dub that's done by Harmony Gold, who are mostly famous for Robotag and a, I think, no longer lost dub of the original five Dragon Ball episodes. Like, if, if you're going to watch this, watch it the English dub, because it's so much better than any Japanese dub could be. Yeah, they, they did a few other things, like uh, Gacha Man and Windaria, I think. But a lot of things they only seem to have done, like, one or two episodes from before presumably getting sacked, because they're doing <laughs> such a bad job. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know that for sure, and they're still around. And, well, I still remember Robotech, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, combination of Super Dimension Macross, Genesis Climber Mosfida, and uh, Cavalry Southern Cross that <laughs> really should not have been combined, but well, that's what you have to do for syndication, I guess. Alright, next Ian will give us a short summary of what actually happens in these 90 minutes, and oh my god, so much happens! Like This totally could have been a 24 episode TV show, just based on the amount of content, plot twists, and events that happen. Yeah, so I I could go on about this at length, like um, the Marvel animated fandom wiki it does. (laughs) Their summary is so detailed. I think every single scene in the movie gets its own two-line description on that page. But we're going to try and keep this uh, as brief as possible while still giving you all of the main highlights. (laughs) Okay. So at the start of the movie, Dracula is in Boston. He has fled from Transylvania and his own lands from vampire hunters. And while he's in Boston, he decides to gatecrash his satanic ritual. The Satanists are attempting to offer a woman, Dolores, to Satan for a bride. 
and Dracula flies off with her, leaving the cult to think they were successful. Uh, however, when Dracula goes to feed on her, he falls in love and realizes he can't do it. They end up living together and have a child called Janus. This is all in like the first 20 minutes. The movie is very indecisive on whether it wants Dracula to be its protagonist or the other characters will meet you'll Ian will tell you about in a second. Yeah, so this is probably the best place to bring in Hans Harker and Rachel Van Helsing and Frank Drake, who they are trying to recruit. Frank Drake is a descendant of Dracula from when he was a human and a presumably famous martial artist. And they want him so that he can redeem his family names by hunting down Dracula. He's so uh, pointless. He does uh, nothing. But in spite of their evil, their evil sniffing dog, that is, the dog can sniff evil, not the dog is evil and sniffs <laughs> Elijah, they'll pretty much just kind of be there for most of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like the Scooby gang, except they don't solve any mystery. After about a year has passed, the, cult, the satanic cult lures Dracula to their church in an attempt to kill him. They fail, but they do shoot his baby, and uh, this is when Dracula flees to the mountains. Naturally, God revives <laughs> the baby, and the baby is a 1970s superhero in a unitard, uh, who is, unfortunately, uh, now as a grown man, has to kill Dracula. So the baby literally just grows up in the span of like five seconds. Yes. They fight a few times, but ultimately it's Satan who manages to defeat Dracula by stripping him of his powers. And this is apparently good enough for both Janus and for the vampire hunters, at least for a little bit. It's like, eh, he's human now, so I guess we'll have to let him be. Duxy murdered all those people, but we can't do anything against a human. And Dracula tries to regain his powers. First, he goes to New York to have the vampire Layla try and turn him into a vampire. But she doesn't want to do that. So he goes to Transylvania instead. And inside his castle, the heir is going to regrant him his powers just in time for him to get killed. That's the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much happens. It's all entirely pointless. Oh, I mean, where do we even begin with this? Like, do we want to say that the animation is terrible, the dialogue is terrible, the voice acting is terrible, the visuals aren't great? Yeah, if you name it, they did it bad. <laughs> yes. One thing One thing they did decently is they matched the lip flapping quite well. Okay, yes. Um, weirdly enough, when I actually paid attention to how the lip flaps were going, they did actually seem to match, which actually makes me less happy because I'm thinking that in the Japanese version, all these times when they're talking pointlessly to the camera, they uh, they must be doing that in the Japanese version as well. Because one of the things that a lot happens a lot is that none of them talk like human beings. They all are just monologuing to one another. Like this movie is incredibly verbose. There is just uh, every sentence tends to run on and on and on and on, and every time somebody says a single line. They just keep talking and they won't shut up. Yeah, so uh, I think some examples are, are in order. So if we go back to the very beginning when Dracula is trying to uh, suck Dolores' blood and he realizes he can't, uh, he doesn't say, why can't I drink her blood? I don't understand. He says, how can it be possible for a creature such as I to feel a tender emotion as love? It can't be, but I must have blood. I can't, but I must have blood. I mean, late later, there's another excellent line. You must never call me father again. My exalted, heaven-sent, murder-bent, mortal enemy. 
You are no longer my son, Janus. To which the obvious response is, you're right, it will make it much easier for me to destroy you if I forget you're my father. Ugh. Janus also does not rest in peace when he's buried, he rests in Piaz. <laughs> yeah, it's there's just so much wrong with this film. We could we could we we could be here for as long as the film telling you everything that is wrong with the film. Like they reuse the same setup shot of Boston, I think about four to five times, the exact same frame. Yeah, I'm so familiar with that establishing shot at this point. I can just picture it perfectly. But yeah, if you if you want if you want visuals, it doesn't have it. This was during the days of cell animation, and this was a cheaply made uh, made for TV movie. So you definitely get that thing where, like, they've put a cell on top of it that's just the mouth has changed. And, mm. like, the rest of the face is still. But, I mean, that's fine. But there's whole scenes where you just they're just holding on someone for, like, three seconds at a time. This is true, particularly when the narrator is there. Uh... Though, though, as, as is somewhat tradition, narrators always tend to be the ones who put in, like, the most effort into their voice work and, and here as well the narrator was really giving it his all and chewing the scenery as best he could yeah so the narrator in this case uh the english narrator is uh someone called robert v baron or baron he is the english director and scriptwriter. uh in addition to being the narrator uh, i think he played a few other characters as well mm -hmm. and so i guess if anyone had fun during this it was him if you you're you, he's done work on other things but to me he is uh best remembered as abraham lincoln in the bill and ted movie <laughs> <laughs> sorry to give you an example of the narrative's dialogue the movie literally opens with a shot of space and the galaxies and the narrator going from the dawn of creation the history of our universe has been one of violent conflict a chaotic clash of opposing forces vying to dominate the void the very elements of nature are in constant upheaval an eternal combat of opposite Light against darkness, heat against cold, motion against inertia, and on the world of humankind, the awesome struggle of good against evil, the conflict between love and malevolence. And somehow that leads to Dracula mucking random people on the street to steal some money for burgers. A very awesome struggle indeed. Uh, and the number of times they use the word awesome is just, <laughs> oh, stop saying awesome, Dracula. So as Ina said, we could go on and on telling you about each scene with bad voice acting, hilarious animation, or or stuff that's just hilarious to watch. Like when he's in the church getting threatened by Satanists with guns, the Satanist leader shoots at him, he poofs into smoke, and then a baby who's standing behind him gets shot. And then he poofs back in and is like, no, how could this have happened? This is the first time in a long while that I've laughed at a baby being shot. <laughs> <laughs> This could have been like a very titanic struggle. We have God, we have Satan, and Dracula's in the middle. But instead, it's just everyone's kind of incompetent and just inexplicable things happen. Like, so he, uh, he, he does become a mortal. And this is enough to satisfy Janus that he doesn't need to kill Dracula because he is no longer a servant of Satan. After being given a bubble bath by Satan, I'd like to point out, it just looks like he's being, like, full of soap and, sh and foam around him when he's being put down by Satan and that scene to get his power stolen. Yeah, but then the vampire hunters are like, yeah, we can't kill him now. He's just a regular human. That would be murder because the only thing that is preventing uh, them from doing this is legal repercussions. <laughs> and yet they still follow him to Transylvania with the intent of killing him once he gets his powers back. There's a lot of, no, let's not attack him now. Let's hold on and observe to see what's going on. 
I mean, Satan literally makes the cult wait an entire year before they do anything for, for no good no reason. reason. Yeah. I mean, speaking of incompetence, that brings us nicely onto our trio of pointless vampire hunters in Hans Harker, Rachel Van Halsen, and Frank fucking Drake. A man who does literally nothing in this movie except harass a woman by kissing her mm-hmm. without her consent, dodging an old man in a wheelchair that's trying to stab him with his cane, and no, I think that's everything. Why was he in the Senate of Dracula? Like, what was the point of that? I, I assume it all made sense in the comics, but here, he his role was entirely pointless. Yeah. I mean, same same for the vampire hunters as a whole. They don't do anything. They just they get they get a lot of focus in their introduction. Uh, they collect they collect Frank, and then they say, like, "Oh, we have Elijah. He'll be able to sniff out uh, Dracula." And then we essentially spend an entire year where they go around places looking for Dracula and not finding him. And then I at know, the end I of that, know. I don't know. But but what we learned, is, what I what Elijah helped them do was figure out where Dracula wasn't, and that was. <laughs> Everywhere in Boston, except for a bat-shaped area on the map. <laughs> it looked like the Batman symbol. Oh. Oh, we This is, what, the sixth or seventh time we've seen this? Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. We've seen this dozens of times. And it's like the only... the only. I mean, it's a Halloween tradition at this point for us to watch the, this movie. What, what can we even really say about this? There's just so many things that are terrible. Yeah, right, right, right. So when we say things like he mugs someone to get money for cheeseburgers, this isn't a joke. Like, no matter how absurd it sounds when we're saying it, it's so much better when you watch it yourself. Like, he's wandering the streets of New York, he sees a couple walking, he puts the guy in a chokehold and says, give me your money! Then he walks into a burger store to buy himself some food, because he's turned human at this point. And also the other vampires we meet, such as Layla, like, there's surprising nudity for a Marvel property in it. Um... We get like a full-on shower scene with her. And then she has a shower that just leads right into her living room. And then she opens the shower curtain and she's fully dressed for some reason. Dracula also gets attacked by bats quite a lot in this movie. Like, there are so many bat fights. It's amazing. I love it. <sighs> I love it very much. So, like, this, like if we were going to review this like in, with any form of ob- objectivity, this is one star out of five tops. Yeah. But we're not reviewing it ob- objectively. Like, this is one of those films that, like, it's kind of cliche to say at this point, but it's uh, so bad it's good. I think this is our equivalent of the room in anime movies. Yeah, like I was. I think when people think of the room, but in anime, they usually go for Mars of Destruction. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think Mar- well, Mars of Destruction at least has the fact that it's short going for it. Yes. This is ninety minutes. I sat. We sat here for. So, like, what is it about these sorts of things that what makes it appeal to us, even though it, by any stretch of the imagination, this is a bad show? Well, there's multiple things I'd say. There's the sheer absurdity of it. For one, with any given media product, you kind of expect that the creators were trying to sell it to you, thus making it at least in some way appealing. And thus, when you find pieces like The Room or Sovereign of the Dam that are just so contrary to every standard of quality that you've come to expect, from a production that is meant to be sold, you just put it all. I think there's, um, at least with The Room, the thing that always sort of attracted to me to do was that how sincere um, Tony Wiseau was in like his belief that he had made something. Uh, Tommy, good. Tommy Wiseau. 
it's like there like there are no like interviews with the directors and stuff about this <laughs> i imagine they're trying to forget it but i have to believe that like this is toy we can't pretend that toy don't know how to make anime <laughs> and like this is this uh the director like minoru okazaki for instance like he was the series director on dragon ball <laughs> i don't know if people like dragon ball as much as people like dragon ball z there was a lot of good in the original Dragon Ball anime, which is totally absent here. Like, and he, even then, he's been an episode director for Dragon Ball Z. He's worked on things like Aim for the Ace. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked on the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> so it's not like we can pretend that. So can we only, can, do we only believe that this is just the budget? That was the... Like, if I've learned, but the thing is, if I've, if I've learned anything from like last few years of anime, is that I've been told again and again that budget isn't really an indicator for these kind of things like people always used to say oh one punch man is such a good budget no it had an average budget it just had an excellent team so i'm kind of assuming it's this was a mess by committee where it was a deal with marvel so they were working with a foreign company marvel presumably had a whole bunch of requests and demands on how they wanted this movie to be are we Plus, sure about that because like look at the look at what we got I mean, I haven't read the original comic book series, so we can't say how closely this represents what's in it. Uh, the other thing that we could do is, like, this was during, like, uh, the, the like, peak video store era. So <laughs> there was probably a lot of stuff that was just being thrown out there. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't imagine that very much time was spent on the script writing, either on the Japanese or English ends for this. I mean, I'm always impressed when people try and fit in, like, a whole series worth of stuff into 90 minutes, just because of how ridiculous it's going to be. Though it never works. Case in point, Occultic Nine. I mean, I mean, Occultic Nine Episode 1 is... Utterly terrible. Yes. <laughs> but I guess the only other thing is, then, we have to take a sort of a detached, uh, almost like ironic viewing stance uh, towards this and say, like, I think it's, I think it's useful in that it, because we're expecting something different, our perceptions of what should be happening and what is actually happening are it's helping to reinforce the things that we may not have paid explicit attention to before mm -hmm. like the fact that the the panel reuse is so is so blatant that like it brings to mind the fact that this has been happening all along and you might not have been noticing it and th that also just shows you how other shows who do reuse their panel just do it so much better it just do such a better job in hiding it and distracting your eyes away from the reused panels right like denny you've at least compared to me had like a, a something of a film education yes uh and my understanding is that they don't they don't spend very much time on the bad stuff they it's it, they usually try to do like tours of the classics yeah yeah yeah. we i don't think we had like a singular there were films that we individually disliked as students but it was never like oh here's watch the room here's watch the old ed wood stuff you never do the here's what not to do, but it's always here the example of like the greatest directors like Bicycle Thieves, uh, Singing in the Rain, uh, The Nook of the North, and various other like film classics. And just these are the things that define how we make movies, not the here are the things that define how we don't make movies. Right. I just I just feel like there's maybe there's maybe a, a missing part to the film education if you're only looking at like good examples mm -hmm. and not being. Because it's very easy to say, like, well, why do we use zooming shots? And then we can say, like, well, look at how they such and such. And then you can say, well, look at how many times they zoom the camera in in Dracula, Sovereign of the Damned, and tell me it's not it, why they were doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. 
it's also it's also just a fun example to look at for um for storytelling and just how utterly trash it is with its characters because you don't set up a full three or of characters give them each an important connection to the main character slash main villain of the movie then with the exception of one character don't really have the other two doing anything like i think it's completely fair to say that the only one that matters is hans harker uh the the guy in the wheelchair and like he's just kind of an asshole to the other two as well though this this does bring me on a question i was going to ask is dracula is he the protagonist or the villain of this movie well i mean you could be both the protagonist and the villain i guess like like the way you're phrasing it makes it sound contrasted to the hero uh he is the vehicle through which some story is told i don't understand what that story is Uh, the movie is also very confused on whether it wants you to feel sorry for Dracula or whether it doesn't. Yeah, because like one of the big things is like that his child gets killed and um, like Dolores <laughs> uh, spends a lot of time explaining how he didn't want to be the servant of Satan and like shame on you for prejudging him. <laughs> but at the same time, he he like is pretty indiscriminate in the murdering. He just does it in secret from his family. It's most of the scenes with Dolores where they try to humanize him, but then he's so desperate to get back to being a vampire. Why exactly? He's now human, and nobody wants to kill him anymore. And he's still got his wife. So shouldn't yeah. this all be a win-win? His son's dead, but he can have another one. Well, well, his son isn't dead. That's the thing, right? His son, I mean, actually, yeah, his re- son isn't even his dead. Son, his son has been reborn as the Golden Angel, or whatever he's called. And he's not even trying to kill him anymore, so they could live together as a happy family. A very weird family, but a happy family. Yeah, I guess we should say that uh, at least this movie ends in a somewhat happy ending with Dolores, because like after putting her through the death of her husband and the death of her baby, they give her her baby back in the end. Though I do wonder whether the baby retains its memories or what kind of story Dolores is going to tell them. So, one-year-old, you died, then God brought you back and turned you into an Aryan Superman? Then you went on to kill your father, didn't really do anything, somebody else must have killed him, I assume. Then you came back to me and God shrunk you down again. And that was your first birthday, my son. Like and then there's the part where she has to explain to him that his father, his father was born 500 years ago in Romania, mm-hmm. and slaughtered people, uh, various Hungarians and Bulgarians and whatever. That's probably the only visually good shot of the movie. Is uh, when we're having that flashback. There's a really nice shot of a lot of people being impaled. It uses a very striking imagery with its coloring. Yeah, that flashback is 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 probably my my favorite thing as well. The only sort of thing that even comes close is when they're reviving Janice and they've got that weird gold effect, which I only like because it just, it's so weird. <laughs> it feels very out of place, visually. So yeah, I think Ian mentioned that me and him first saw this when we were together at an anime society. And over the years, we had various other Halloween events and we watched various other things, but we always came back to this because... Most horror anime just aren't that great or or that scary. Like, we watched Corpse Party, we watched Cheeky, we watched another, and it just wasn't that interesting to watch. You were never really scared. Now, granted, maybe that was because we were watching them together as a large group at an event that we were all making jokes about it. But even so, most of the horror anime I've seen never really scared me. I agree. The sort of the obvious reason why... 
uh, horror anime might not be scary is the fact that it is in fact animated. I've mentioned other places before, which is that I think anime is an abstract art form. Uh, mm -hmm. It benefits from a level of remove that film doesn't have. And I think it's closer to theater for that reason. But this additional remove means that, well, what we're watching on screen, well, it couldn't happen to us. These are drawings. And we're, whereas when it's cinema, we're seeing, we're seeing and reacting to a human who might be in a fictional world, but we see their real pretend emotions. <laughs> and it's easier for us to put ourselves in that position. Granted, this is not to say that anime can't be scary. Anime itself can be quite scary. Like Perfect Blue or Happy Sugar Life, they're not scary in a horror sense. They just make you incredibly uncomfortable and creeped out. I think anime is pretty decent at, at getting the emotion of creepiness across. Like when you watch something like Paranoia Agent, there's always yeah. just that uncomfortable sense that there's something wrong and you can't put your finger on it. And that is horror in a way. But what we would classify as horror anime, quotation marks, those generally, like Corpse Party, or you have, you have like a slasher, those aren't generally very scary. Yeah, so like I think the ones you're sort of saying are some to a certain extent more psychological rather than visual mm -hmm. um, in their horror. So with Perfect Blue while there is the obvious horror of having your body defiled, most of the horror is coming from this idea of you were identifying with the main character and uh, the way people seem to be reacting to her online. Someone seems to be acting as her and her senses don't seem to be quite on point. The, the narrator is, is unreliable. And I think that's part of where the, the horror can creep in there. But in, even then, it's not, it's not a visual element of horror. It's all from the writing more than anything else. I mm -hmm. think. Uh, Happy Sugar Life it falls into the same category, I think, kind of as like Higurashi or Madoka or Made in the Abyss to a certain extent. I'll, I'll walk that back in a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where part of our horror, if you want to call it that, is from the, the gap in expectations between what we know cute girls in anime do and the fact that, well, one of them is bashing someone in with a bat or or is having a predatory relationship with a much younger girl and killing to preserve its secrecy. Though anime, anime is pretty decent at doing like body horror stuff, like Maiden Abyss. I think the, there are some scenes where it's just so grotesque to what happens to these, to the characters, that it might creep people out. Akira is like the obvious thing, and this is actually one th thing where anime does have a strength, is that these effects might be difficult to pull off, even with like very regular makeup and special effects, but... Mm. Like, it's just drawings. Like, we want their, where their arm to turn into a shoe. We can do that. I don't know why I keep on that example. Somehow, Akira makes me think of the thing in terms of its effect, but just on a much, much larger scale in terms of the body horror. It's just, like, grotesquely growing and moving. I, I think so. There's a few other things that I think come into this. Uh, this one was something someone else mentioned to me, which is that with the, this is a movie that we've watched, but a lot of the times we're complaining about horror in anime, it's less about the movies and about the series, uh, Shiki or another or whatever. And part of the problem there is sustaining their attention from week to week and the like suspenseful buildup. You can you can like drift your attention can like drift in and out, and you might forget what happened last week, and that can reduce your sense of horror. But then again, we think it worked well enough in Paranoia Agent. But there it mostly worked well because it was very loosely connected. You only really need to remember the big thing of Shonen Bat and the individual stories you could kind of watch on their own. 
Okay, well, and then, uh, well, like maybe Higurashi then might be a better example where they're just ratcheting up the tension week by week. Mm. So I, I can't really say anything on that because I've not seen the original Higurashi. Yeah. I think one of the, the things that always sort of jars people with the, the the problem of like horror anime is that horror manga doesn't seem to have this problem at all. No, no. Like there are very there are many very successful horror manga, Junji Ito being the prime example. He's made his entire career on horror manga, like Tomie, Uzumaki, and uh Gyo. And then there's a uh, Shujo Oshimi, who the author of Flowers of Evil, um and uh, Chino Wadachi, who, oh, his works are so uncomfortable to read, and it just really creeps you out. So one of the reasons I think why horror manga are so much more successful than horror anime comes from the art of the page turn, which Jinji Ito has mastered. Yeah, by which by which you mean getting someone to want to turn the page, even though it's going to scare them. Uh, that can that is not something that happens in in movies or in anime because. The anime is going to keep playing by itself, whereas in a manga, you have to make the conscious, voluntary decision to turn over the page to see what happens in the next, even if it might scare you. Right. So I think this fits in with um, why I think even people would prefer, like, maybe the Higurashi visual novel. You need to keep clicking, even if there's no choices. You need to keep clicking to read the next page. Mm -hmm. Or this was what some people said the problem with Corpse Party is, is that Corpse Party should have been more scary than the game because the game is just an rpg maker game but part of the additional horror was that you're making the choices uh that affect this character's life so to speak whereas anime is just a very passive experience and along with the fact that we're not getting the realism of movies like it's just too, it's like it's a death by a thousand cuts right there's just so many yeah, things yeah. working against it Video games probably have the easiest job of all these visual medium of inducing horror in its audience because there will always be a connection between the player and his avatar, but making that avatar a powerless figure who has to run away, can't fight back, and is being chased by things in the dark, that's just a great formula to make you scared. I could, to, to just pull it back a little bit, um, you mentioned um, Akunohana, mm -hmm. and this is a good example uh, for one thing which is that uh, with Junji Ito, some of the horror comes from just like how detailed his drawings are. Yes. You're like really seeing the, like the, you can really feel that this is like a real thing. Like even though no person has like 10 heads coming out of their head, you know? It's, it's a heavily stylized version of reality, but it's somehow very believable uh, in its depiction of horror. Of course, he has some works that are completely ridiculous, like Hellstare Amina, where there's alien planets and stuff. But there's something about it that just draws you in with his art. But um, one problem, I think, well, there's a few problems here. One is that anime studios are very rarely going to put in the effort to draw things in the, the level of detail that, that Junji Ito would require. And so when we finally get Uzumaki, the anime, there's it's probably going to feel less scary because all the characters and stuff are probably going to be simplified just to make it easier to animate on a, a reasonable budget. There was actually an uh, Junji Ito anime like a few seasons ago just called the Junji Ito Collection. And from the things I read, it wasn't very good because of very similar reasons as you've just given. Yeah, but um, <laughs> so since I went, I went off my point is um, Akuno Hana could have provided an interesting example of upping the realism because they used rotoscoping to do the faces, uh, which we see sometimes. We saw it with uh, Trapeze, for example. Mm -hmm. What, 10 years ago? Shit, that was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, and I don't think m many people said it really worked in the context of Akunohana, but it's sort of a technique where even though it's animated, we could have gotten away with this by importing more humanity into the characters that way. And so I do think there is scope for um, like careful animation into like careful use of animation to increase the horror. When we often talk about horror, like gore tends to come up. Like this is the Elfin lead, for example, uh, but Higurashi also to keep re-mentioning. Mm -hmm. And gore, I think we need to figure out how to make that work because I think it just always comes off as slightly hilarious. In, when somebody in... splats. Yes. And particularly, this is why I've never really liked the Yandere trope, the, like, I have to kill you because I'm so in love with you. I think they, they have an essential absurdity to them, and that's not what I want. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I guess we'd, we should probably try and wrap this up, but if there was one horror show or, that you were going to recommend, is there one that you think you would recommend to people, other than Dracula? Yeah, I don't really have any horror anime to recommend because they're just not a genre that I watch that often. But manga-wise, as I've said, anything by uh, Shuzo Oshimi just is worth a read. Chino Wadachi is just... Uh, it just it makes you uncomfortable just by looking at the imagery. Other than that, if you want grotesquery, you can always go back to Berserk because Miura is a master at drawing giant grotesque scenes. And there's also Frankenthran, which has some very disturbing stories, both visually and story and just narratively. It's a great read, though. Frank and Fran is probably the horror manga I'd recommend most. How about you, Ian, then? So there is one anime that I think falls under the horror category that you and I have seen and both really enjoyed, and that's mm -hmm. uh, From the New World, or Shinsaka Yori, uh, which is a coming-of-age story in a quote-unquote utopia. Mm -hmm. Spoilers, there are dark and shocking truths of society. And I, I don't want to give that one away. I really want people to just kind of uh, kind of give that one a try, see what they think of it. Mm -hmm. But again, that's really more of a slow burn horror, uh, like creepy thing rather than an impact giant monsters horror thing. Yeah, that, that, that's true, but uh, I, it's still really, really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, since this is our first special, I don't really have a good idea of how to wrap this up. Um... Watch Dracula, watch the English dub. It's hilarious, and you won't regret it. But do watch it with some friends. Don't watch it on your own, I'd say. Ian, any final remarks? As you knelt before me in obedient submission, and your eyes met mine, I knew I must have you for my own. My need for you overwhelmed my need for revenge. Indeed. We are the Anime Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday, more or less. This was, of course, a special episode, so these will happen occasionally. If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the episode or suggest something for future episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime or drop us an email at researchanime at gmail.com. Goodbye. Happy Spooky. Halloween. <laughs>